You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Kane Warren is a candidate for Vision New Zealand in the Manurira electorate. He heads up the successful Man Up program and has been taking guns handed in by former gang members going through the Man Up program and giving them to police. He talks with me now about that and about the hope that Man Up brings to men wanting change in their lives. Kane, welcome to The Crunch. Yeah, more than that, Kane. Thank you very much. Look, I saw the news last week that you've been handing in some guns that you've grabbed off some gang members who've been part of the Man Up campaign, and I was interested to see a video of you trying to hand in a gun to the police at Manukau uh, Station there. And uh, let's just talk a bit about how you get these guys to trust you enough to hand over their weapons. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Um, yeah, kia ora, everybody. My name's Kane, and I'm the National Director for Man Up. So, yeah, giving this uh, experience some context, we give uh, men this opportunity in our community to be involved in a men's support group. And it's open to everybody. It doesn't matter your background, uh, your colour or creed. You come as you are, no judgment. And uh, I guess that's the uh, foundation uh, for men to be able to have an opportunity to clear their conscience, work through things as a, a man, as a father, to improve, um, you know, just themselves as a person, as, a, as uh, contributing back to their families. So we find that... Uh, I personally have built this trust uh, in the community for some time now, probably over the last eight years. And yes, gang members do find their way to Manor. And as the story had uh, exposed, firearms have been handed in. So really what we're what we're saying here is I think we're we've got this buffer in between the law and the community. Uh, it's a safe space and a place, as I said earlier, where men can actually uh Clear their conscience, clean, clean their act up, clean their act up. Actually, at the same time, regarding um, the situation of holding illegal firearms. So, the word is probably uh, trust. I built some trust. So these guys, you know, rather than them turn up to the police station and probably get uh, I don't know ten questions and thrown into the interview room, it's probably better they come to me uh, as a mediator, and then I go to the police and, uh, as you've seen, hand in the firearm. Mm. And I mean, you say that the man up has the, uh, I guess, a motto of "Come as you are," which that's the same motto that the church I go to in Papatoitoi has, where we welcome everybody. It doesn't matter what you're wearing, what you look like, who you are, where you come from. Come as you are. Does that help with these guys that are coming to exit gangs? That they're accepted as they are. Yeah, I think the word acceptance has been in that battle all their life, uh, mm. right from you know from childhood. Uh, I can only imagine uh, a lot of these men that were boys once upon a time growing up in homes and whatever the condition of their homes wa- uh, was or wasn't, you know things like affirmation, acceptance have been their battle their entire life. So the last thing they need is to come to any organisation and experience uh, judgment. Um, and I guess that's where the opportunity is. It's got to be genuine because they've picked up fake all their lives. They've seen it. They've heard it. Um, so no doubt about it. If uh, if there's a door that's open and they can come in as they are and welcomed, and it's a starting point, I think um, they're better. They're, they're going to they're going to make better decisions moving forward in terms of uh, how do what do they want 
in terms of being uh, you know a better man, better father, better provider. So yeah, big big word there uh, came around acceptance. Mm. I mean, I talked with Hika Robertson and Wellington um, a few months ago about the Man Up program. And when I had the Rebel News guys here from Australia and Canada, they were very impressed by the ethos of Man Up. And, you know, Hika was telling us about guys who had basically walked across the road from the Munger Mob pad uh, and dropped their patch at the door and never took it back up again. And uh, it just seems like a really powerful story that, these blokes can feel safe in leaving the gang by coming through Man Up. 100%. And I've got another good example of that. Um, another, a gang member in Auckland, I won't mention the gang uh, name, but cut a long story short, coming through Man Up and the support that he was he received as a gang member, he was able to transition out of the gang. And he was a business owner at the time while he was a gang member. He was going through some court matters uh, regarding um, stuff that was, I guess, around domestic violence. So he had a whole, he had a whole lot of things going on at, all at once. So we just, as we do, we take these guys on this journey. This was a one-on-one journey. Sometimes it's not just about a one-on, a group. It's actually a one-on-one journey most of the time that yeah. we follow them through. Uh, not just on a one week, uh, one hour per session, uh, one hour session, but actually walking them through some of the difficulties and challenges that they've got to face whether it be the courts, the justice system. But this example of this guy, he actually made a comment about six weeks into the program. He said, you know what, brother? Um, my profits have gone up in my business since I've been coming to Man Up. And I said, well, that's that's good. Why do you think that is? And he says, well, it's because I start, I'm starting to feel a lot better about myself. And now that I feel better about myself, my kids are not walking on eggshells at home. So, yeah, that's just an example, Cam, of when support's given to these men, they really have got the potential to be better. And uh, I think it just really comes down to, yeah, having somebody there to just guide them through uh, those initial breakthrough moments that they need in their life or their family. Yeah, I mean, men have a real problem sharing their troubles with even their best mates. They won't talk about things. But Man Up seems to provide them with a, I hesitate to call it a safe space because it sounds a bit weak, you know. <laughs> so we, we hear about all these safe spaces, in there, but it really is a safe space for them to share their burdens that they might be having with their relationship, with their family, uh, you know, with the law, with the, the, the justice system such as it is, which enables them to clear a lot of the, the rubbish that's been written by their own thoughts in their head. And to get some clarity, and and I guess you're also bringing a bit of faith into it as well. Absolutely, uh, the mantra is, uh, and I guess this is for the traditional Kiwi male. It's not harden up, bro. It's open up, bro. Mm. And we walk that journey with them, and that cult reculturing, I guess, around uh, men opening up and talking. And um, it's oh, I, 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 for me, the experience of uh, walking with men, and I know right across the country, our program. And the men that do facilitate, uh, we're very we're very honoured to hear some of the stories and tragedies and trauma that men open up about for the first time that they've ever had an opportunity to share these dark secrets of their soul. I guess where they couldn't talk to their wife, can't talk, can't have these conversations at work. But we create the space where uh, it's it's brothers opening up to each other, and it's yeah, it's powerful because as you mentioned. 
there is the faith side to it. And those deep confessions coming out uh, of things that have happened to them and things that they've done as well mm. um, brings brings the first stages of a release uh, of things that they've been holding on for decades. And and, and I guess a physical manifestation of holding on to things are these firearms, these illegal firearms that these guys have got. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And um, let's just say if a gang member is coming into Man Up, we don't tell them at the front door, hey, take your patch off or, hey, it's time for you to leave the gang. That's something they've got to discover. Because they've got inspirational men around them that have made those steps, that have made those changes, it gives them hope. It shows them that they don't have to stay in the position that they're in. So when we talk about better fathers, more responsible, caring partners, uh, that model and those mentor, those mentors are actually around them. So as much as they've got the gang that may be negative and pulling them in a different direction, they've got another influence in the community, yep, called Man Up, uh, these men that are living examples to them that mm. change is actually possible. So the program's not clinical, eh? it's not like ticking boxes like they would do in a prison uh, context. This is a program that's sort of guided by, yes, some good content, good topics, but it creates conversation. And when these men open up, it's like a it's like a release valve. It's like it's been you know uh, you undo the undo the uh, the button there, and then pop out comes um, stuff that's been suppressed for or since childhood. Yeah, and you know I guess people are creatures of habit, and you get stuck in an environment. Uh, it might be a marriage. It might be uh, a workplace. It could be. Um, you know, a club or something like that. And you think to yourself, things could be a whole lot better, but making that decision, the actual decision to step over a line, which is a, a very tiny step, really, when you think about it physically or, or even mentally, but it's, but people are held back by the comfort of what they know rather than the discomfort of what is unknown. And so when they finally make that step, do they do they feel a sense of relief that they've made that step that there's no going back? Oh, okay, I've done this now. Um, there's no going back into that life. I'm I'm moving forward, and then everything starts to change from there. And then if they look back on it, I mean, imagine you have an outreach program where you go back to people five years or you know two years later and say to them, well, you know, what was the hardest thing? And and I'm, I imagine they probably say the hardest thing was making that decision to step over that line. It's a good point. Yeah. Stepping over that line. And uh, that's the initial, you know, as we would say, is a breakthrough or a uh, cycle breaker mm. in something like addictions or dysfunctional behavior. Um, but we know, we know, and we encourage them to know that it's uh, it's not a quick fix. It's uh, you've been in dysfunctions, for example, maybe 20 years, mm. and this ain't going to go away in five minutes, but it will get better as you walk it out. And I think that's the key thing with Man Up is that. It's more than just the program. The brothers that uh, engage with the program call it a lifestyle change. Mm. And so I think that's probably the key part. And as you say, Cam, five years later, there is a testimony to tell. There is a story to tell. And that's where that's why I believe Man Up is successful because it is the champions, the champions telling others of their story and how they got the breakthrough, how they uh for example, broke dysfunction in their life, how they walked away from the gang culture, how they broke addiction. And so we, we are big on, at the right time, getting the men to share their story, 
their journey with other men and the community. So that's not a secret, just uh, confided and man up. But when they're ready to tell their story, it's time now to let everybody in on the chapters of your life that were tough, that were challenging. Yes, there were highlights, there were mountaintops, there were breakthroughs, and often sometimes there are relapses, but yet they still come through mm. eventually um, stronger than they came in at the beginning. It almost becomes contagious. The more people that go through and succeed in essentially welcoming freedom into their life rather than the restrictions of a gang or restrictions of prison or restrictions of, you know, all sorts of social constructs that hold people in situations. When they experience that freedom uh, and then things get better for them and then they start telling some of their other mates who are, you know, let's be frank, they're pretty tough guys. Uh, that becomes contagious and encourages other people to cross that line too, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think we, in Man Up, help over time take off the negative stereotype labels, mm. like gang member, like offender, just that language, like criminal. Um, even though they've got criminal records and they make this change and want to get into employment, we we help these men you know, take off those labels that they've been labeled as useless even in their childhood. You're never going to make it. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, work to be done spiritually, mentally, uh, for our men to transform into what we believe God's called them to be, and that's great men. So we put on new labels. Hey, you're a beautiful guy. You're an affectionate man. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, a, a father that loves to uh, give those love languages to your children, and so that's the exciting part for me, Cam. Is seen on the other side. Once we get through the uh, tough stuff. Uh, peel off some of those layers, you actually start to see this uh, beautiful uh, man, father, uh, brother coming into, uh, you know, his family and the benefits, you know, when I when I often look back now, eight years, you see these champion fathers now that were once, yeah, absent, irresponsible, uh, addicted and broken, are now men that are actually fulfilling, living fulfilling lives and enriching those that are around them their children, their mukapuna, and their wives and partners. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's an admirable program, and it it staggers me that it doesn't have official acceptance um, out there. It has unofficial acceptance. There's, you know, plenty of people in the community who say this, this program works, um, or, you know, all of those sorts of things. But when it comes to actually having interventions with people that are essentially a captive audience, you know, in corrections, there doesn't seem to be any official acceptance of that program. Yeah, I, you know, we, we're on the positive here of man up and better fathers, and I think politicians are sort of what I'd call man down. Um, they really have got a tall poppy syndrome when it comes to uh, successful programs, and they should acknowledge it, regardless of uh, personality uh, challenges that they may, they may have with the likes of Brian Tamaki. Uh, to be honest and fair, the program is bigger than a man. It's uh, spread right across the country. Um, and I think uh, corrections or our government, yeah, they've had those issues, but they can't hold up the progress. I think if Man Up is credible, we've got proven results, it should be on the table for discussion and given an opportunity to actually help make an impact because our prison, system, our prison numbers are not going down. Our our offending is not uh, reducing, 
And in fact, it's uh, increasing. So any programs like Man Up or any, I know some other community champions out there in Manudewa, South Auckland as well, that don't get no recognition from this government. It, it, it's actually an indictment in the politicians. Uh, you know, I, I find that the only way that you can get a politician to listen to you is if they're in fear of losing their seat. Yes, that that's true. And again, I, I, I get, we, we have to go back to why why is a MP or a representative uh, in government on our behalf is to represent the people, and uh, we don't feel that representation um, given even man up an opportunity to have uh, access to help help our people, help our men. And I've taken a bold step too, Cam. Uh, under Vision New Zealand, I've launched a uh, what we call a policy called the Ministry for Men's Affairs. Yeah. And that basically looks into where men are not performing. Um, and there's a lot of areas where men are not performing and, not, and it's not given really strong attention. Um, it's an opportunity to actually address that. And so that policy has come through the years of experience of looking into how our men can be better to perform for our families, for our children. We have a massive fatherlessness problem in New Zealand. A third of a third of children growing up in New Zealand grow up in a home with no father. That itself is a massive problem, not only today, but in the future. Well, it's an intergenerational problem, something that welfareism has exacerbated rather than solved. Uh, and the politicians seem to think that the only way you can solve something is to apply money to it rather than going and looking at what works. And you look at the National Party, their policy for boot camps for kids. Well, you wouldn't need boot camps for kids if they had decent fathers that were teaching them how to how to act and behave. And, uh, and we had a society where people's individual uh, responsibility kicked in well before their individual consequences kicked in. Absolutely. I agree with that statement 100%. And if Man Up was given an opportunity to be involved in our reconstruct of our homes through working with our men, uh, I know for a fact we would we would bring a solution to that, that problem there of the breakdown of family. Now, but the breakdown of our families is the cornerstone issue around our crime. Um, I think it's just common sense, Cam, but obviously common sense is not that common at all. It's, you know, it's not that talking common. about our politicians, you know. It's crazy, man. But here's the thing, right? We've got these guys in prison for committing. By the time you end up getting sent to prison, you're going to have a fair amount of time of committing crimes before you got sent to prison. You've probably had 20 or 30 convictions of a lesser degree before you end up in prison. It's very hard to actually get sent to prison in New Zealand these days. There's a lot of talk about how easy it is, but it's pretty hard. You've got to commit a lot of crimes or some very serious crimes. But while we've got them sitting in prison, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, life, whatever, you know, it's ironic. They're a captive audience. And I know Corrections has programs that are in place, but recidivism is out the window. It, it, it's it's approaching, you know, 80%, 90%. So you've got to say that the programs that Corrections have invested in, because that's the sort of womble speak that they talk about, right? They've invested in these programs. They're not working. And yet we've got a program that has demonstrable, clear 
successes. You, you know, I bet you you've got an address book in your phone, hundreds of men that have successfully gone through Man Up whose lives have been changed that could serve as a testimony for these, well, I consider them to be fools at correction. I mean, there's some good, hardworking, caring people that are in corrections, but the reality is they're there to lock people up and let them out when their time's finished and try and keep them safe in between. Wouldn't it be better if they actually being a captive audience, had man-up classes, had man-up situations in the prisons. So you calm down the violence, you change people on the inside so when they get on the outside, they can rehabilitate themselves even further. It seems to be a logical solution, and and I'm stunned that nobody's taken it up. Yes, you know, we look into the ideologies of political parties as the outcome for men and women, because, hey, women, especially Māori women, uh, are represent, overrepresented in the statistics of uh, incarceration right now. So that's absent mothers now, not only just absent fathers. Um, so what are what is, the, what is the end result for prisoners? You know, do we want them, you know, being rehabilitated to think about, you know, their own personal responsibility, which I know a lot of the programs in prison look at that. But do they go into even deeper parts of uh, a man, the father, uh, for example, like man up to actually help them understand that, hey, you're on a journey home. Home is where you need to be, uh, not in this, not in this prison. Um, and so, helps programs and developing them around their their future and being becoming a uh, responsible father, because I know a lot of the men that I do mentor in prisons, they're they're talking, they're talking what they want to be, you know, back engaged with their kids because there's a lot of downtime, two years, three years, and sometimes even longer away from their children. There's a rebuild that needs to actually happen there inside the wire, but also helping them transition out. And I think that's where the mm. sometimes the missing link is. They get released from prison, most of them, with a $350 one-off payment called Steps to Freedom. But there's a joke out there that says uh, it's the steps to reoffend. So there's not a re- reintegration strength that we have with our prison system right now. And I know it for a fact, a lot of the men that go into these housing situations and bail homes, they are still... Uh, controlled by the gangs, there's drugs, prostitution happening, and it's uh, you're setting them up to fail, uh, literally. Mm. You can see how it works in society. Kiwis are great knockers. We like to drag people down. Uh, a case in point is this Man Up program. The reason why that, you know, and Brian said this to me on an interview a couple of weeks ago, that everyone's, you know, Andrew Little said, oh, we don't want the Man Up program because it'll send people to Brian Tamaki's church. And it just seems that it's it's being blocked and knocked on the basis of one personality rather than looking at the actual program and its successes. And we need to have a step change in New Zealand where we don't knock people down, that we build people up. And, you know, I'm... I'm guilty of knocking people down all the time, you know, doing what I do. You know, people say to me that that was a bit cruel, Cam, or that was a bit mean or whatever. And it's kind of in our society that as soon as the media or politicians have built somebody up, they then set about knocking them down again. Yeah. Again, I say, you know, we're not very good at celebrating success, uh, especially when it doesn't come from a, you know, maybe a portfolio of a politician. I didn't, you know, maybe as a, politician. I didn't create this. I didn't have a, my hand on in, in this work. 
rather than realizing that actually any community champion that's doing great work should be supported, should be uplifted um, in what they do. And so Man Up is a good example of that. The table is open eh, to politicians and um, to come and talk to us um, so that we can actually get the first steps. We've made a lot of uh, first step engagements by emailing the prison management, by emailing politicians and those holding those portfolios, but uh, we just get denied, not even to have that, just that talk across the table. So not only are they knocking us, that the democracy that we should be having is should have an open table to actually have a talk, not to be ignored and uh, not to be enga not engaged with, because I think we've that's where it's breaking down. And then uh, I want I don't want our people losing hope either. I don't want our facilitators thinking that their government is not actually backing them up. In fact, it's ignoring them. So it has a it has an effect an impact on those that are trying to do the work voluntary as well. That it, it doesn't help at all. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a real challenge to try and defeat that. But twenty seven years ago, we brought in MMP, and MMP was supposed to create coalitions where people work together, where parties uh, cross pollinate with ideas and things like that. And what we've seen in reality is an increased polarization, where you're on the red team or the blue team, and they're large parties. Uh, almost too large that tend to silence the smaller parties, but not engage with picking up good ideas around the place. And we're seeing this at the moment with the media and the larger parties out there saying to people, um, look, if you don't vote red or blue, then we could have another election, which is totally against what MMP is all about. Um, it's about sitting down across the table or, or even better, not have any tables acting as barriers between people and sorting out a common position that we can move forward together as a country. But it seems that the major parties and the media don't want that to happen. They like the conflict. They like the constant uh, one team against the other uh, rather than seeing a cohesive and collaborative government that looks for the best solutions in any particular area and then deploys those. So yes, you know, I find it frustrating that good ideas, doesn't matter who comes up with those good ideas, whether it's you or Brian Tamaki or um, you know any other politician that's out there in a minor party, it's the good people who are trying to do wonderful things for the country in particular niche areas, why not adopt those? And it just... You know, and and I was locked up in that polarized, you know, environment where people still say to me today, you know, on Twitter or X or as it's called now, you know, I say something about somebody, uh, and then somebody comes back at me with a picture of me standing next to John Key from ten years ago. It's almost in the same position that the people in your Man Up program uh, are suffering, where their past is holding them back because no one will let them get out of their past because. You know, you're criminals, you've got a conviction. So it's almost like there's no ability in New Zealand society for redemption and changing yourself. And if you do change yourself, then everybody still throws the things at, at you that you've committed in your past, whether they be crimes or, you know, acts of political freedom to, to say and do what you want. And I don't know how we can break that uh, in society where we just got to knock people all the time for what they did in the past and not what they're doing now. 
totally agree. And I mean, wasn't it? Isn't it something that the asylum asylum seekers, um, the government are actually passing some sort of legislation that they're allowing asylum seekers into New Zealand, and they won't they won't check their um, they don't have to check or worry about their their background, whether it be a criminal background, but yet. Uh, the people of New Zealand, as you made an example, um, after just to say after ten years of being a clean, living a clean life and not being involved in any criminal behaviour, uh, they still are marginalised and they are the citizens of New Zealand. So, oh, it's a it's a lot of conflicts. Well, let's get back to talking about the guns thing because that interests me. I, I'm a collector myself, and I've got you know, a not inconsequential number of firearms. And one of my bugbears that I've had with the police is they don't seem to have a process on how to get illegal guns in off the street. They just have all these laws and processes and regulations that are policing licensed firearms owners, but they're not doing anything about unlicensed or illegal firearms owners. Whereas you're coming up against this on a regular basis, regular enough that it's significant to make the news and you've tried to hand firearms into the police and you know you sent me through a video before this interview to have a look at and I was staggered you know that they didn't seem to be I mean I I got the feeling that when you're putting the guns in your boot of your car that you were you had trepidation there you were unsure about what what was going to happen when you got to the Manukau police station and then just to see the stunned and baffled looks that why would anybody come into the station and say, I've got a, an illegal firearm I need to hand in, what's the process for that? And they didn't know. They just didn't know. I think one of the things there, Cam, is that you're right. Because it's an illegal firearm. It's a machine gun. You're thinking, I don't have a fire, uh, firearms license. I don't handle firearms. So I'm, I'm by no means a specialist. So, yeah, there's a, there, heck, you're nervous. You're wondering what's going to happen at the other end. Uh, when I take the firearm, are they going to start accusing me because I sort of look, I've got that look, I'm Māori. Um, all these sorts of things cross your mind. But I think uh, realising that uh, getting this illegal firearm out of the hands of someone that's wanting amnesty, at the same time handing it into the police because then that actually gets that firearm off the streets with all the homicides and murders that are going on and with with firearms in Auckland City alone, it's a, it's a good deed. I think for me though, it, it highlights that I maybe I represent a lot of good, solid Kiwi men and people, not just men, women, that actually do do charitable good deeds. And that's to me was a good deed. May not be received by the police that day like that. But here's the saddest thing: they said, "Look, we're going to get someone in the senior police to give you a call." Well, it's been two, three weeks, and nobody's given me a call. So it's like. It's, I'm just hoping that they realise that in our community, yes, there are gangs and there is crime and things are not getting better, but there are people like me, um, a sample of probably many people out there that have got good engagement, good trust, and actually can actually make, get results through gangs, firearms, and the law. But you're Again, taking creating that mediation space. Yeah, and, and you're actually taking possession of somebody's former identity. You know, that firearm is what bolstered them to commit their crimes. It, it gave them power. That's why criminals carry guns. For them to hand that over to somebody, they're handing over their power to you. And you're saying, well, okay, well, I'll go and hand this into the police. Now, I've been involved in taking black firearms 
uh, through a process to try and legitimize them. This happens all the time in the collector's community, right? You'll get a phone call from somebody that said, I've just been doing up a house. We've um, taken out the walls and we've found these guns. What do I do now? So, you know, there is not a process that the police have. It depends on who you talk to. And there's some very good arms officers that are out there who will walk you through a process to do that. But invariably, when you tip up at the police station and tell them that you've got this firearm, it's not on the register, uh, it's been in the wall for could be 40, 50 years, you know, somebody brought it back from World War II or World War I, there's no process to legitimize that firearm. It's It's considered to be black and always black, but even when you go to hand in the firearm, all of a sudden you start getting questions about, well, how did you get it? Why didn't you do this? And now you're, you're being treated as the suspect when actually you're the good citizen that's handing in an illegal firearm or finding a process that it can be maintained because it's, you know, might be a collectible piece or whatever. Now the ones you're collecting, you know, a Glock and a, you know, an AK style semi-automatic and a shotgun, they're not really collect collectible, but there isn't a process and you get treated like a criminal when you try and hand it in. Is that your experience too, that you've had all these questions and you're thinking, well, why did I bother with this? Yeah. I mean, uh, it is, it is the experience you, you know, as you say, that uh, there's not that, um, there isn't a process because <laughs> not, not this firearm, but the firearms I handed in before this one was about a month ago. The lady at the lady at the front desk at the Manukau police station said to me, Oh, have you got firearms in those bags? I said, yes. And I'd like to talk to a police uh, officer, please. You know, someone that could um, manage this with, from here. She's going to sit down um, just over there. And I sat down for 10 minutes with uh, two illegal firearms in my bag, a sawn off shotgun and a, and a Glock. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, gosh, doesn't she not realize the seriousness of what I've actually got in my possession here? And mm. um, so unprepared, yeah, no process, uh, poor follow-up. And just poor engagement, actually, when the police did come down, there wasn't any, oh, what have you got there? Uh, it wasn't, I said, I, I actually, um, Cam, I actually confronted him. I said, excuse me, the way that you should uh, start your conversation is, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name, sir? And I said, well, my name's Kane. So I, I corrected this uh, cop. I was quite um, upset with the way that he came out of the uh, office and saw me in the reception area, didn't even ask what my name was, didn't ask mm. where I was from, um, just said, what have you got there? So I just corrected him and said, listen here, mate, um, be better if you started the conversation with introducing yourself, asking who I am, where I'm from. That would be a good start. So, you know, it's a hard case, you know, how you have to sort of, yeah, you feel sort of victimised when you're trying to be feel like a hero, but you're not a hero. You're actually, in yeah, some I mean, ways, you feel like you're the perpetrator or some sort of, what, why have you got those firearms, you know? So it needs to be a bit of a change, you know? Because we don't want people like me feeling like, oh gosh, you don't go down there. They just treat you like you're, uh, you know, you're part of the problem. Um, so I did ask to talk with uh, the gang engagements unit. I know there was a, such a department of the police, but nobody's called me back since. Oh, was it been three weeks now? Maybe two and a half weeks. No contact at all from the police. So it's not going to stop me though, Cam. If another firearm gets handed in, I'm going through the same process again because that's the only way I know. Is mm. to um, get rid of that weapon in a way that it's not going to return back to the streets. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we get this all the time. Um, you know, at antique arms, we get phoned up by people. They've got firearms. Their grandfather's died or whatever. They 
they are clearing out boxes and, oh, hello, we've got, you know, a Webley revolver or we've got, uh, you know, different sort of fun. We've even had, you know, submachine guns and stuff like that have turned up that they didn't even know Granddad had. Um, wow. You know, they brought them back from World War II uh, hanging over their shoulder, you know, nobody questioned it. Um, now, all of a sudden, they've got this firearm and no ability to deal with it. They're too afraid to go to the police in case the police then decide to do exactly what they do when we go in there. You know, I mean, I know of a case where some old guys had decided to get rid of their collection, et cetera. There's a whole lot of magazines for firearms. They now need to be registered, but there was a, you know, at the start of the whole buyback situation, law changes, the police were very opaque with what the rules were. There's these 80-year-old guys that have got 10 or 15 magazines. They're actually worth a little bit of money because now, ironically, by the police making them restricted and uh, requiring to be, you know, serialized, they've actually increased the value of them because it, not everybody can have this little metal box with a spring in it. You know? So so they've increased the value, but they've got no ability to hand those in. The police then say to the dealers or whoever's got them, why have you got those? You know, we want the names of the people that, that handed them in. We want to prosecute them. You know, all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, here, here's a, some guys that are handing some stuff in. And the police want to go after them because they didn't hand it in two years ago. It, it's insane. Yeah. And, it, it and, it, and it's demonizing and ostracizing people so that they no longer wish to deal with the police. Now, people like myself in the firearms community have had a long-standing, you know, relationship with police that we considered to be good. Not anymore. People like me won't interact with the police. We'll insist that they follow the law. You know, I had two two cops turn up at my place armed with Glocks and tasers and vests on and everything, and they said, oh, we're just coming to inspect your safe. And I said, oh, that's a shame. And they said, why is that? And I said, well, I'm busy. And they said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm talking to two idiots who don't understand the law. And they said, are you talking about us? And I said, yeah. You have to give me seven days' notice to come and inspect. You haven't done that, so you can go. See you later. And then they threatened me. And so the interactions that you have with police that you're insisting that they follow the law turns into a threat that this won't go well for you. <laughs> you know, so we sit here and we wonder why there's no respect for the police. Well, they don't have any respect for law-abiding citizens. Well, that's right, Cam. And I've experienced it myself. I, as I do when I'm at the front desk, I tell them who I am, what organization I'm from. Mm. So they get an understanding that, hey, hold on, this is the profile of the individual that's standing before us. But there's no credit given for that. If I was in the police and I was on the other end, I'd be making trying to find Kane Warren because I see that as an asset. I see that as an asset to keeping our streets safer. But I think there's there's been a shift in our police they're lacking community engagement. And I know that for a fact because mm. a friend of mine that attends my fitness centre said to me, he is in the police and he's in the gang engagement unit and he, in Monaco, Monaco here. And he came and see me just off record and said, hey, Kane, we just need some ideas on how we can engage the gangs. And uh, if you don't mind, you know, come and meet our seniors and um, maybe yeah. share some of your experiences. And I said, I said to him, that's not going to work. That's not going to work because your brand is not trusted. There's a big difference between mm. the police, what you're saying, and where we are as people in our organization. We have the trust and the engagement with the people. 
And I said, you won't be able, you, I won't be able to offer too much advice at all uh, to your seniors, uh, apart from the same thing that I'm telling you. you. You're not trusted. So my final advice to him was, you have to make some radical shifts and changes in order to be trusted because um, they don't trust you on the streets. And why do they come to us? Well, because they know that we're trusted. If I tell the man that you hand these guns and it's amnesty, it's amnesty. There's no names. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think there's a lot of breakdown, Cam, on police engagement in community. It's not It's not working. It, it hasn't worked for me for the last two and a half weeks after that firearms handed. Yeah. That's just appalling. And, and it's easy to be fixed, but it's going to require time. The police, with their actions during COVID, uh, the actions since the Christchurch massacre, they have destroyed trust in large segments of, of society. And their answer is to wallop us harder. You know, yeah. you know if, if they're going to build trust with folks in the Man Up program, then they almost need to come down not wearing a uniform, participate in the program, uh, earn the trust, and then they might find they can get a whole lot of guns, a whole lot more guns back off the criminals that are out there or ex-criminals that are wanting to go straight. I mean, let's face it, like I said, if they're handing over a – I mean, a Glock is that, – that's an interesting firearm. I'd be interested to know if the, it was actually a police firearm that they've now recovered because <laughs> – because <laughs> the police have lost more Glocks than private citizens have lost Glocks. No, no. I mean, you know, that's the the, the crazy situation of things. Uh, and it seems that the police as an organisation has a systemic problem that they refuse to acknowledge and they just box on regardless. Maybe they well, need to do the man up program. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a free advertisement to the New Zealand police today. If you're out there today and you're um, needing to, uh, you know, can recondition your mind and heart, then Man Up is a good place for you to come. <laughs> now, you're standing in Manarewa Electorate, aren't you? You're yes, going to correct me, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, a hardcore Labour seat. It's never gone any other colour other than red. How are you finding door knocking and campaigning as a candidate? in a deeply red seat. The tide is turning uh, for Labour in Manudewa. I know that for a fact because we've knocked thousands of doors. Yeah, We've visited plenty of uh, uh, businesses, local dairies, and because of the last six years of uh, Labour-led government, and particularly the last three years, there's been a turn and a shift in the voters. Could be a swing vote, you know. As you know, they, if they don't go red, they sometimes go blue. But the feeling is, is speaking to a few senior citizens in the community that have been Labour for ever since it's existed, basically, if they don't vote red, they don't vote at all. Um, but I've been able to swing their candidate vote. Right. And so that's been interesting too, you know, that they they hold red, whether it goes back to George Hawkins or whatever. But when you talk to them about the experiences they've had, uh, lockdowns, just left on their own, really, there's a lot of people hurting out there, Camp. And the door knocks have been quite slow for me personally because they've invited me inside for talks. They want to talk. And it's a little bit of a, it's like a man-up session in itself. They're venting just their frustrations and hurts, some of their concerns, especially the elderly, actually, afraid to actually walk out uh, on the footpath, go down to the local shops for afraid to be um, attacked or verbally abused. So I really was shocked. Uh, maybe I've been living in a bubble. This campaign's really popped my bubble. 
to really feel where people are actually at in terms of, um, like you said, where are they voting? There is a swing, and uh, some go national, but there's also, as I say, Vision New Zealand. There's only a four-horse race in Manunua. There was 11 candidates standing in the 2020 elections. This election is only four parties standing in the local general seat, Yeah, uh, National Labour, Māori, and uh, Vision New Zealand, myself. With that swing that you're detecting, do you think that part of that is, like you say, they if they, they only vote red, and if that doesn't look like they're going to get anywhere, then they don't vote at all. Do you think that there's going to be a very low, a lower turnout in Manurewa electorate this time round, or do you think people are? Uh, I detect a, a, a angry undercurrent amongst people on the street and, and voters, and they seem like they want to teach the government a lesson, a very harsh lesson. And you you seem to be picking that up too, that there's people who want to talk. You know, cost of living is probably the biggest thing. And we get this, these politicians who you never see them on the streets for three years, and then for six weeks prior to the election, here they are eating sausage rolls and doing crazy things. And, <laughs> you know, do they think that we can't see that this is all a charade, that they're, that they're just pretending they care? Because that's the feeling that I get, that they, they don't care. They don't want to listen to us. They do only do this every three years, and then we see them in the, in the, uh, in the community finally in the election campaign. Where was all of the visits to the markets before that or whatever they're doing? You know, they're only there to open things and get their names put on plaques, it seems. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, that's why I think to the voters that are listening, we we have to we have to vote differently, and it's tough because um, the media doesn't help at all. It um, hosts debates with the main parties. It leaves all the minor parties out of uh, key debates. You don't see democracy when the media are in control. And you're right; they come out in this last six weeks and they showboat, um, picking up rubbish, taking photos and selfies. That's been hard for me, Cam, because I know I'm a part of it too, because I'm campaigning, as I say, mm. campaigning as well. And I've been visiting a lot of our elderly homes and how enriching that's been for me. But how sad it's been to ask the uh, head nurses in there, hey, has any of the other candidates locally been to visit uh, our elderly homes? They says, no one. So they pick and choose, eh? They pick and choose mm. uh, where they go for their selfies and their profiling. They're not very consistent right across the board. Me, I've been. I've broken all barriers. I've gone to Buddhist temples. Uh, I've gone to visit our Muslim uh, whānau. I've gone to the Black Power Pad. I've gone to dairies, and I've gone to everyone else in between, because to me, it's important that uh, all people uh, are engaged with a a, partic- a potential MP, so they can see uh, see this person, they can hear what their message is, and at least have that opportunity to say, okay, that's what I, that fits me, or that doesn't. Um, but we haven't seen that consistently with uh, Labour and National, in uh, even in Manudewa. I guess that's that polarisation again that's affecting that. It's the us and them mentality, which never in the history of the world has creating an us and a them situation ever worked out, you know, without bloodshed or violence. But that's exactly what we're seeing. And we're seeing that with some of the, you know, with your people from the Man Up program, there's an us and a them uh, situation. You're attempting to create that, but the politicians and people, powers and be are still creating this us and them situation when in actual fact we need to look at it from 
in my view, a perspective that there is no us and them, there's just a we. And we're all in this community together, including the criminals and the victims of those crimes. And we need to work out a way that we can create less criminals and that we can reconcile with everybody so that we all together have a community, not an us and them situation. And it might sound hokey and a bit of motherhood and apple pie, but it shows the journey that I've been on in the last few years to get out of the polarization of politics. And it's why I'm doing this now on Reality Check Radio, that I can talk to people like yourself and learn um, that there are other ways to do things that may be better. And I think that's what we need to grow in our society. And that's why I think parties and candidates like yourself and people that are engaged in the community should be listened to. And it shouldn't have to be a knock them out, drag them out fight to get these ideas brought forward into into society. It, it, we should be looking for what works and doing that, not just chucking millions of dollars or billions of dollars to solve a problem. I mean, if welfare solved poverty, we wouldn't have any poverty, would we? That's true. And uh, Cam, the thing is, is that in Manurewa, for example, the I call them community champions. The engagement that I've had with social workers, with uh, groups that are unsung heroes, they're not out there doing selfies and promoting themselves. They get on with the work and engaging with people. Mm. They're the community champions. If I had the opportunity to advocate for them, I would be resourcing them. We don't, Manurewa doesn't need any more policies. Uh, it just needs the backing and support that it deserves. Uh, the leadership's here, the engagement's here. They know how to engage with the whānau that are hard to reach. I know that for a fact. So that's what it's coming down to. All, the old saying is a leadership is the problem and leadership is the issue. And it, it, it's even reflected uh, down on the ground here in this electorate of Manurewa. We need the well, right leadership. Well, I know the electorate reasonably well because I went to primary school in, in the electorate. You know, I lived in in Manurewa for many, many, many years, uh, up until secondary school, in actual fact. So, yeah, I know the electorate. I know the people. I, 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 I well remember, you know, ironically, it was Roger Douglas um, who who came around and visited my father and said, oh, it's good to see you here, John. Now I know where I can come and throw stones on your roof. <laughs> you know, so, so, so that was uh, – that was an interesting experience as a young child to see a politician coming to talk to somebody who was in a different political party and saying, oh, look, this is where I can come and throw stones on the roof. You know, It's funny, though, because, you know, I, I raised that with Roger Douglas once and he, he, he can't remember ever saying it, but, but it was clear I was there. So I didn't, don't forget it. And uh, neither does my father. So. But uh, yeah, I know the electorate really well, and and uh, I I wish you all the best for that. But the reality is, it's probably going to be um, a Labour victory in your electorate. But that doesn't mean that your ideas uh, should stagnate, and it doesn't mean that you should stop doing what you're doing. And you know, if you want some help with the police in engaging around firearms, then I'm willing to come and help you on that as well. You know, I know people in the firearms community that can assist and would be willing to assist. So you don't have to do it alone, that there are people out there that think that what you guys are doing is grand uh, and necessary and they're willing to help. Uh, and, you know, I've been impressed learning about the Man Up program and talking with Brian and talking with Hecker and yourself. And I think it is something that should be embraced 
and I'll do whatever I can to help you do that. Appreciate that, Cam, and I'll take you up on that with firearms and with a man of your own experience, and we'll, we can work on that together, and I'll, I will reach out to you um, if uh, the uh, opportunity comes up again. No, absolutely do that. You know, between the people I know and the people you know, we can we can actually make a difference and do what the police should be doing in getting these firearms off the street. But uh, I'd just like to thank you for coming on The Crunch. Um, it's the last week of the election. Uh, you'll be able to have a rest on Sunday. Well, actually, you probably won't be. You'll be at church on Sunday. But, uh, you know, you've worked hard in the electorate, and I wish you well. And, you know, I think there'll be some things that we can work on together as well. Thanks, Ken, for giving us this opportunity this morning and uh, appreciate the uh, uh, the work that you're doing too and the team, just uh, giving us a platform to to be heard. Thank you. Well, we need to hear all voices and uh, it takes all types to make a community and, and I just don't think that we should be uh, shutting the shutting our ears and our eyes to what are good ideas. And uh, so, I mean, that's what Reality Check Radio is all about. It's it's exposing awesome. to new ideas and thinking of better ways to do things. So, yeah, once again, thanks for coming on The Crunch. Well, that's uh, awesome, Cam. And you can send me a Reality Check T-shirt. I'm a size large. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I'll, I'll, re- I'll, get, I'll, see <laughs> I'll send you I'll... a man up one. We'll do it. We'll do a trade. Do a trade. I wish you do it in person. Swap them over in person. We'll do that. Yeah. I am constantly astonished that politicians and bureaucrats refuse to engage with Man Up. How much better would it be to have people in prison go through the Man Up program while they're in prison before they rejoin society, rather than try and start their journey away from crime after they leave prison? I'm thoroughly impressed by the difference men like Kane can make helping other men with the Man Up program. Kia kaha, Kane. Now tell me your thoughts on what Kane had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.